Hello and welcome to the unofficial, unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show. My name is Dan and uh, this is a very, very, very special episode of the podcast. This is our inaugural all riled up episode. Uh, with me to explain to you exactly why we're riled up is our dear friend and companion and expert guide to all things that need expertise, Sarah. Hello, good morning. <laughs> Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, um, as the case may be, because it's a podcast. You get to listen when it suits you. Uh, Sarah, I am still reeling in, you know, mild hysterical shock after last week's episode, because we'd literally uh, finished recording maybe half an hour uh, before the news about uh, one of one of the races that we'd been discussing came through. And it was a, a race that's got a little bit of history of basically being a complete fucking shambles. And so <laughs> we, we were commenting on that and sort of going, but yay, it's going ahead. And we finished recording and then half an hour later, what happened? Well, <laughs> there I was sitting on the internet as I want to do and... Uh, CJ Farkerson, who runs womenscycling.net, which everyone should check out. She's the original and best women's cycling uh, news person, um, reported that the Tour of Languedoc-Roussillon had been cancelled, which was slightly problematic since this was Thursday at about two o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock French time. But in but the race was due to start on Friday. <laughs> and, and not, I have no words! Not only that, not only that, but... We had uh, a whole bunch of teams who were literally in the middle of driving or flying into town for the race, and a couple of teams who were already in town waiting for confirmation of where they would be staying the night yes, before the race. Yes, actually booked hotels. Now, I mean, the Tour of Languedoc-Roussillon, it was supposed to happen last year, but it was cancelled with two weeks' notice. And But basically, it's been touted as the return of the Tour de Lode. Um It's in the south east of France, and the Tour de Lode was one of the few Grand Tours that we had. A Grand Tour for women counts as a race that the UCI allows to be longer than a week, yeah? And it's just supposed to be the return of the Tour de Lode. You know, Pyrenean mountain stages, all sorts of fun stuff, but hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, so I think the I'm technical sorry, term... I can't speak about it. <laughs> I think the technical term uh, for this category of race is under revision, and I would like to uh, hereby respectfully submit to the UCI that we enter a new classification of race. Uh, so rather than being a 2.1 or a 1.2 or 1.1 or, or whatever, what I would like to submit to the UCI is that races uh, of the calibre of the Tour de Languedoc-Roussillon uh, be recategorized as uh, the new category, complete and utter clusterfuck. You know what? I mean, I have little sympathy with some of these races. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the French races are really, really bizarre because they're either really, really good, like the GP Plouet, which is just fantastic, good website, good information, or they're like this one, or the Tour de, Tour, or the, or the Trophée d'Or, where they don't bother to have a fucking website. I just... I well, just, why, to, to why be... is the UCI letting these races be UCI categories? I mean, there should well, be a basic, simple thing that says you need to have a website... 
Look, and you need to have on that the start list and the results. I, Holy shit, how I, hard is that? I am with you in principle, Sarah, but I, I feel like we need to actually revise back a step because, as it turns out, I, I think I can speak for most people involved in women's cycling when I say that if if the failure to have a website was the only thing wrong with the Tour Languedoc... <laughs> We'd actually be pretty fucking happy. As it turns out, uh, not only have they failed to get a website, they basically failed to get a race. And, and for a race, that's kind of a big deal. Well, what, what, happened, what happened was the race was cancelled by the police because the police hadn't been paid any their deposit for providing security and road closures and stuff. And rightly, the local police were like, well, you know, we're not going to do that for free. And you're not having a race that, where the peloton is just riding around an open road. So, but then it all got more complicated because, first of all, the race told everyone it was cancelled. And then later started ringing people up and going, oh, no, it might not be cancelled after all. So there's a couple of French teams that didn't actually travel down there because they were told it was cancelled. Mm, mm. And, and then, then they were told it might not be cancelled and then they didn't know and then they didn't know and basically the riders are staying in really shit accommodation and one of my favourite things about it was uh, Annemiek van Vleuten and Iris Slappendale <laughs> tweeting photos of the food that they I was, were I was going to say they, they, they took the whole hipster you know hipster foodie Instagram your meal kind of thing to a whole new level <laughs> well, my favourite thing about it's, it was it was slightly 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 worse than prison food <laughs> I liked I liked Annemiek's face in it Annemiek has got a very good I'm not very happy with this food face <laughs> So the the food they got in the evening was like a plate of pasta with like a, with a chicken with like a, a boiled chicken breast on it, mm. um, and then the breakfast. I'm I shit you not. This is the breakfast that they were going to be expected to race on: half a roll, a punnet of jam, and a tiny tiny coffee. I can still in my head. I I I picture it as a Monty Python sketch. Or oh, in my day, we would have killed for half a punnet of jam. <laughs> luxury, sheer luxury. <laughs> I think I love it best when you do accents. <laughs> with Anna Mix sitting next to me, you know, with her happy face. Um, did you see? But did you see? Did you see? And then the lunch on the second day was even better. It was a plate of plain pasta, like no sauce or anything, with a slice of ham over the top of it. <laughs> Like, not even like ham, as in, I don't know how you eat ham, if you're posh, but, you know, it was like a slice of, like, slicey ham that you get yeah. in sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so at this point, so on Friday morning, so, so they're all sitting yeah, around no, waiting. So, so, don't know. I mean, basically, it is the ultimate fuck you from a French race organiser, isn't it? It's like, you know what, we're going to pretend we've cancelled the race, then we're going to tell you that maybe the race isn't cancelled, uh, but you've got to stick around and sleep in this campground with, you know, no blankets or tents or whatever, and uh, we're going to feed you cold pasta, and then we're going to put a, a slice of ham on it, and, you know, all the way you'll have convinced yourself, well, at least we're in France, the food's good. Ha! <laughs> fuck you all it, it really is like just like if if you could organize a race where the logo is just you know some some johnny rotten punk giving both middle fingers to the riders the whole time this is that race it really was and so on friday they didn't know what was going on and basically uh rabobank got really hacked off with them do you know what let's just go home fuck this fuck this 
we don't know what's going on. They're not telling us why should we get involved in this race? And they went home and Bowles Goldman's did the same thing. Yeah. And so you have some teams who aren't there because they rightly decided not to spend the money on traveling for a race that may or may not go ahead. And then you had other teams that just went, oh, fuck it, we're going home. Yeah, and look, so, I, I really respect that, particularly from Rabo, because they're a large enough team that, in, in theory at least, I, I mean, obviously I don't know the particulars of the, the team organisation, but in theory at least, they would have been one of the better equipped teams to cope. Exactly. Um, and, exactly. and instead they drew a line in the sand and said, you know what, this might cost us some points, this might you know, hurt us a little bit in other ways, but we actually believe in the principle enough and, and we're aware of our position as as a, a team in women's cycling um, who has the the assurance of a little more resource to actually be able to take this stand. So we're saying, fuck it, and we're not coming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the race, so the race did go ahead, um, mm. a shortened race starting on Saturday, and the teams that stayed said, well, we'll stay, but only if it's, if there's, if it's not safe. We're going home. We're stopping. Exactly. And there was some criticism on Twitter. I mean, you know, I mean, I am as as much I am as much like this as anyone else. Yeah. But there's a lot of backseat drivers on Twitter, aren't there? There's Are a lot you, of there's what? a lot of. You're kidding! I thought everyone on Twitter was an expert. Who the fuck have I been talking to on Twitter all this time? <laughs> but you know, there are people. No, going, no, no, you oh, don't understand. Shit. I've been getting medical advice about this growth on my leg from Twitter. I'm. <laughs> If I leave suddenly, it's because I'm I'm trying to find a real doctor. Holy shit! <laughs> I think you just need to get someone like Sword Panda to chop it off with her vast sword. You make it sound really, really dirty when you say it like that. Like, why does everything have to be phallic with you, Sarah? I don't understand. I'm not. I, I'm not sure how chopping off your leg counts as dirty, but okay, Dan. Uh, look, if you want to play innocent, feel free. But you're the one talking about, you know, big, strong swords and throbbing legs and stuff. Um, anyway, moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. I can't remember what I was talking about. <laughs> um, uh, we were talking about bitchy people on Twitter because that's a I real shock to... Some, yeah. There were some people who were saying, oh, well, teams should have known better. They shouldn't have gone in the first place because it was cancelled last year. And some teams had decided not to go for that reason. But I don't think that's their fault. I think if you're a team, because Anamique had this excellent blog, and then this blog, she said she'd actually rung up the race or emailed the race organisers herself to say, is this race actually happening? And they'd been really cross with her for suggesting it might not happen. Hmm. Mm. And if you're if a race is categorized 2.2 on the UCI calendar, the race organizers are telling you it's going ahead. Mm. What are you supposed to do? Team, it's not teams' places to second guess this. Well, and then other people were saying, exactly. "Oh, it's really shit. They should have all have stayed or all have gone." And I'm like, "How? I, why are we blaming the actual riders and teams for this? I mean, I can see why. So some teams decided to stay because they'd already paid the money to get out there. And this is one of the few hilly races on the calendar. And they don't have money for team camps. So, you know, this is where they can actually practice riding together. And they're there already. Absolutely. You know? Look, I'm, I'm really glad you've raised this, though, because, I mean, yeah, you're right that it's it's a bunch of idiots on, on Twitter. But the good thing is that... that it gives us an opportunity to actually discuss the real issues that are highlighted by this situation. Uh, so let me just rattle them off in order as they come to mind. First of all, 
Um, the race organisers were... The, the most charitable way I can spin this is that they were fooling everyone, including themselves, that they were going to be able to pull it off without a hitch. Uh, mm -hmm. because they hadn't paid the deposit for the police, let alone the full amount. They hadn't booked all of the hotels that they were going to need. They were telling riders and teams that absolutely the race is going ahead when clearly they didn't have all the finance in place. So uh, the most charitable way that I can, can see that happening is if they're convincing themselves that you know some sponsorship deal's about to come through or whatever and it, it will all just work out. Uh, but even with belligerent goodwill... It obviously didn't work out. That's the that's the best thing that I can can say about that aspect of it. What it does highlight, and we've commented on this before, is the complete inadequacy of the UCI's management of ranking races and overseeing the organisation of races. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's not just this race. There have been issues with a whole bunch of races. Uh, sometimes they're financial issues, sometimes they're organisational issues. But for whatever reason, it is absolutely clear that there is not the requisite level of oversight. When was the last time anyone heard of a professional or even a pro-continental men's race being cancelled the night before it was due to start? And not due to weather. Mm -hmm. Not due to fucking weather. You know? So, know. you know, so there's that as well. But then there's also there's this whole fucking thing of, um, oh, the riders should have all stood together or not. Okay, this is another issue with um, the inequalities, the inherent and intrinsic inequalities between men's and women's cycling at the moment. The AIGCP, which is the, the riders' union or representation body, doesn't represent the women. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fuck them for a start. Uh, there is no voice for the riders apart from the teams. Uh, and the teams, as Sarah's pointed out, are put in this devil's position where they've got to make a bargain with the devil and it's a, it's a question of which bargain they make. Yeah. And, you, they, and you, they don't even... They're not, they don't have Wi-Fi down there. It's not even like they can send an email out to everyone well, saying... On and top they're all of on that, different campsites. How are they supposed to find each other to have this, this conversation where they all decide to do it together? You know, they're not... They're not housed in some lovely hotel where they can all just go down the corridor and knock on each other's doors and go, hey, look, this is what we're thinking. What are you thinking? I think they prefer to do that. But how the fuck are you supposed Unless you do it on Twitter, hey, guys, we're thinking of leaving the race. Anyone else? But, I mean, but, but also on top of that is, is the fact that as uh, many, many, many people have pointed out and one of the great frustrations that you heard on Twitter from team managers and and owners and, and stuff is we've paid the money to be here and we're not rich enough. Like, you know, the the couple of thousand euro that it costs to fly riders in and transport bikes and, you know, get the car there and, and all of that sort of outlay, you know, it, it's part of an annual budget to be at this race. You can't yeah. just throw that away. There isn't a business in the world or organisation in the world that has genuine accountability for its budget that could get away with that sort of shit, yeah. except the UCI. And I don't yeah. understand why they think they can get away with that sort of shit, but I'll get on to lynching Pat McQuaid a little later. I mean, so, so the race goes ahead. So you've got, you've got, I mean, you've got Bowles Dolmans and Rabobank leaving the race with a really angry statements. You know, mm. Kusmer and Moera and Houts 
uh, statement on the Rabo site about saying, yeah, they're used to shit accommodation and they're used to this and they're used to that. But, you know, when this is just too much, it's too much all at the same time. Yep. So they left. And the first stage started with a sit-down protest yes. by the riders who were there. Like, fuck it, we're going to have a minute. Well, it's more a crouch-down protest because you have to look after your bike. And still, I was looking, you know, you're looking across the main news sites to try and find out some more news on what's going on. And there isn't any. You know, this wasn't covered by Cycling News or Velo News. And it was covered by Velo Nation the day after because Ben Atkins is, you know, Velo Nation is pretty much a two-man band. And Ben was, you know, is covering, is covering the Giro as well. And also he was trying to get um, comments from, from the UCI the and from the race organisers. The UCI, the French Fed. Yeah. No one would get back to him. Mm. And, you know, and it's like, but but this is why the, I've, and I wrote a bit of a rant about this on Saturday, because I woke up on Saturday morning really, really angry about hang this. Hang on, but this hang is on. Why, you wrote a rant? I know. Where did you publish it? Where, I haven't, do you have somewhere on the internet maybe that you put these things? Well, it's funny you mention it, Dan, because I do have a website. You're Which kidding. I share with, well, they share with my very good friends. Um, it's called prowomenscycling.com. That's crazy. And that's so you can read my rant. But no, I mean, part of the problem is, is that no one pays attention to this. And this isn't like some, it's not a minor deal. You know, I know the Giro's on. Yeah, but people are still managing to report on the Tour of Norway. Yep. You know? Well, I think it's really interesting, actually, because, um, you know, our our little site doesn't get huge amounts of traffic. Um, you know, I don't think that's a, a shock to anybody. But the interesting thing to me is that you say, you know, no one's paying attention to it. And that's definitely true from the perspective of these, you know, air quote, media organizations or news organizations. Um, there was not, you know, any, well, I'm not aware of any, any timely attention that was paid to, to it when it was all going on. But over that weekend, um, that, that post brought for us probably around about a thousand percent increase in our normal traffic. Um, yeah. yeah, and I could see it. I mean, this is one of my things about it is I could see on Twitter because people are retweeting my stuff. They're asking me questions. Cause I'm talking about it. Mm. You know, I can see on Twitter that people are really angry about this, and you can see it on Facebook, mm. and you can see it on our little tiny. You know, we've got this tiny site that mm. we basically promote the the posts on Twitter. You know, we're not we're not a big we're not a big thing, but you can see people are really really angry about this and want to know. Yeah, and it's not just people who are like die-hard women's cycling fans in inverted commas these are these are a lot of people who are really really interested in this yep. so and, and this is one of the things i was saying is i don't understand why this story didn't get much more traction because it's very very clickable isn't it yeah well it's, it's a race it's... organizer it's scandal mm. we get to we get to shout at the uci a bit and we also have a thing where you can have an argument about whether whether teams and riders should have stayed or gone mm. Mm. it's got everything that that that, that a story well, honestly, you know, if, if, if I were responsible in any way for content on cycling news, um, you know, thumb on forehead, may that never come to pass, um, I, I would have looked to make, you know, three or four stories out of it over the course of the weekend across exactly those things. You know, here's the news, this is crazy, here's the lack of response from the UCI, the Fed, uh, the race organisers, what's going on. Okay, you know, story three, the race is going on, but, you know, these teams have left in protest. You know, should they, should everyone have left? Why is there no riders' union? Stuff like that, you know. Like, yeah. like as you say, it was easy fodder for content about 
a larger than average audience for the subject matter. Um, and, you know, it, it's actually, on the one hand, it's kind of sad that uh, one of the, the most um, well-publicized events in women's cycling in the last 18 months um, and and one of the ones that has drawn the most attention is something as tragic and pathetic and frustratingly fucked up as a race cancelling the night before they're due to start. Well, I mean, I you know we had a bit of a disagreement about Bradley Wiggins, you know, riding like you know riding ride like a girl comments, and and one of the things you said at the time was, well, I just pissed off that you know all these different media outlets are talking about you know are spending so much time talking about Bradley Wiggins talking about riding like a girl but they won't actually look at women riding and it's like yeah I take your point you know we it, it's fine to talk about someone riding like a girl but we'll just ignore the fact that women can't race or, <laughs> or, or about all the races that they do race and race well and race hard and as it's turned yeah. out have raced this race and yeah. you know and, it's, and it's it, it has actually been good racing under what I can only describe as probably some of the most mentally draining and frustrating conditions that, that anyone well, could undertake it. This is, I mean, this is what uh, Miranda Vries was saying. Yeah, the race is starting, but she found it really, really hard to be enthusiastic about it because you would. So, I mean, so it started with three stages in as we're recording now. Who knows what shit will happen by the time Dan actually uh, puts this online. Oh, Martin, hey, I, I, do, I do actually get it up in a timely fashion. Thank you very much. No, no. Saying that, <laughs> who's making phallic comments now? <laughs> That's what she said. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god, um. Anyway, so the first stage was won by Marta Bastianelli um, for Farron Let's Go Finland um, out of a bunch of sprints. The second stage had a ridiculous amount of climbing and it took four hours. And this is really unusual for women's races. They don't stage it, so they don't normally take this long. But it was, it was something like 2,800 metres of climbing. You know, from yeah. and, and, and it was up into the Pyrenees and it ended in the snow. And it was won by Emma Pooley. Sarah has feelings about Emma Pooley, in case you haven't caught up on that over the... How can you not like Emma Pooley? Emma Pooley is not just a fantastic mountain goat, but she's also (laughs) deeply sarcastic, deeply intelligent, very dry sense of humour. I was not for a second suggesting that people... I, I was not for a second suggesting that people should not like Emma Pooley. I was simply highlighting that you have, you know, um, a deep and abiding fondness for all things Emma Pooley. I, I, I just... I, I, I have 200 favourites and Emma Pooley is one of them. <laughs> yes, but she's one of the more favourite favourites. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, yes, yeah, so Emma Emma won the second stage. Hooray, Emma. And then yesterday was an IT... T- uh, then there was another stage won by Lauren Roney of Specialised Lululemon and an ITT won by her teammate Lisa Brenauer. So I think we're on to four stages now. Um, I've lost this. To be honest, I've lost the plot. Part of the problem with this race, right? So 
so uh, some people are saying, oh, well, we should be nice to this race and not give them a hard time because maybe they will come along and become the Tour de Lode. But this race, right, even after all of this, they still don't have a website. CJ Farkerson is on the ground and was still not able to get race results from them, yeah? They they won't answer questions. They have um one of I think one of their sponsors has actually set up a Twitter for them because there's a there's been a sponsor one. But when they're when they're tweeting what's happening in the race, they're tweeting it by jersey number. So they're sitting there going, aha, there's a breakaway and jersey number 14, 28, 39 and, and 502 are all in the breakaway. But because there's no start list, we can't tell who that is. Which is a tragic irony because on, on the one hand, um, particularly if you're using Twitter as a primary mode of communication, using numbers actually makes a certain amount of sense in, in keeping yeah. the characters down. <laughs> Except that, as you say, no one can see the start list so. We've got even less idea than usual. I just, I can't even. <laughs> Honestly, every every result or bit of information I've actually seen about this race has come from someone who wrote it, you know, at the end of the day. <laughs> I just, it's, I, you know, so, 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 so there is an argument that says we shouldn't be too mean to the organisers because they might get their act together. But I think that this is organisers. I, I'm, I, here I am with this. I'm actually at that stage where, you know what, yes, Getting rid of crap races and getting rid of crap teams who don't pay their riders, etc., etc., would mean that fewer women had the chance to race, yeah? But I'm actually at that point where I'm like, fuck it, I think we should have, if it's a choice between crap races and no races, let's go for no races. Well, I, I mean, I, I come at it from a slightly different point of view, which I, I hope slash intend to talk you around to, um, because it's because <laughs> it, it, that's my way, but also uh, because it's something that I've mentioned before. Uh, again, to me, this comes back to an issue not with the races themselves, but with UCI classification and oversight of the races. And this is what I mean when I've talked about the UCI mandating a, a better path to earning proper classification and the, the types of organization and consistency that need to be demonstrated by a race in order to be categorized further up the listings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this race could be run as a, a pro-am race, maybe. I don't know. I mean, you know, and maybe that makes it cheaper. Maybe that does a whole bunch of other things that that actually make it more achievable for the organisers as well. But to me, the issue is not so much that that the race organisers have completely fucked it up. I mean, they have, and and that's unfortunate and not good. But the problem is that the UCI has allowed a race in this position with history. You know, once I might give a little bit of leeway as an accident, you know, an an unfortunate blip on the radar. But, uh, you know, with the history that they had from last year, there's no way that they should have just had had the, the kind of credibility that has been afforded to them by the UCI. Uh, and and to me, you know, and this is a, this is a standard business practice. You enter into an agreement with anybody to provide a service or a product, and they don't meet the requirements of that, then they have demonstrated that they're not fit to continue to do business with in that way. Perhaps not at all. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. You know, a race organizer's put their hand up and said, "We're going to put on a race. This is how we're going to do it. This is what it's going to be like. This is the the prize money and the organization and the blah blah blah. And we've got commitments for this much." And no, they fucking haven't. You know, I mean, on this basis, apparently, I could send an email to the UCI saying I'm going to put on a 1.1 category UCI race on Thursday in my backyard, 
And apparently, <laughs> apparently we're going to do it. Which I'm actually thinking for my birthday next year, I will put on a top category UCI race in my backyard, just get a bunch of pro cyclists over and hang out. I mean, yeah, at first I'll be pissed that there won't actually be a bike race, but I'll get a keg or something. It'll be fine. Okay, and accommodation. I mean, I'm not going to dump anyone at a campground. We can all just crash on my floor. It'll be fine. Well, as long as you have Wi-Fi, I think that's generally the kind I've, of key thing these days free, for the riders to have. I've got free Wi-Fi. I'm going to put on a keg. Um, I've got great taste in music, and I'll probably cook something or, you know, order in food. I don't, fucking, I don't know. It won't be cold pasta with a slice of ham on it. I promise you that much. Do you think, do you think, Anna, Meek would, do you think Anna Meek would have an unhappy face if she was sat next to a place of your cooking? Uh, no, definitely not. I'm an excellent cook. Like, I genuinely am an excellent cook. Um, but she might in a photo because I would beg her to do the unhappy face. <laughs> so, um, this isn't, I mean, this isn't, this isn't the only, this isn't a case of the UCI just taking their eye off the ball, is it? It's like, it's like, this is... No, it's a consistent pattern of behaviour. Yeah, sorry. This is... The, the, the Exergy Tour was also supposed to take place in May, yeah? Um, the Exergy Tour had... Uh, the Exergy, we've talked about the Exergy company before and their um, inability to pay people that they've said they'd pay and honour financial commitments. And basically, the Exergy Tour was cancelled because um, the Exergy Group owns the race and no race organiser would put it on for them. And again, this is a race that cancelled after the season started that was super, super... You know, the warning signs were there last year. Do you know what I mean? Mm, mm. And apparently the UCI, as you say, the UCI just goes, yeah, have, have a have a category status. Yeah, whatever. Well, one of the things that I find really interesting is that every now and then on the men's side, we get, you know, in my opinion, quite ignorant bullshit about, um, you know, forming a breakaway league or, or whatever to break the UCI stranglehold. Um, but it's in circumstances like this, when I look at women's cycling, I'm like... You know what? I don't think the UCI'd even fucking notice if we formed a breakaway league. You know, or or if they did, I think they'd probably just heave a collective sigh of relief and go, "Fucking, at least we don't have to pay attention to that anymore." And everyone else would be like, "You mean we did?" You know, who the fuck did? Um, it, it, it's just it's a consistent pattern of behaviour on their part, and the, the negligence that they've demonstrated towards women's cycling um, uh, for a number of years, but very specifically with circumstances like this and XG and, and a few other things, seriously calls into question uh, their credibility and their, their right to have any involvement in women's cycling. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think it's a conversation that probably won't happen anytime soon because it becomes quite scary because technically the UCI has power over the Olympic aspect of the sport. But um, it's definitely something that, that, you know, if we were in a slightly stronger position, if there was a, a little more representation uh, on behalf of the, the women riders and the women's teams um, into the UCI, that's definitely a conversation I'd be seeking to have. Uh, if, by any chance, you run into Pat McQuaid, uh, now that we're moving on to that, that part of the topic in the next couple of months... Um, please detain him for me. Uh, shoot me a message on Twitter, and I'll be there as soon as a uh, a plane can get me there. Uh, so you'll only have to hold him for like forty eight hours or so, um, <laughs> so that I can can have a few very very clear words with him about the fact that he needs to stop being such a fucking dickhead and sort this shit out. 
yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Mm. So that was part one of the week. Um, my, you know, I can't wait for the riders to get back into the land of Wi-Fi. I especially can't wait for Miranda Reza's inevitable blog on the whole thing. I just hope someone gets Emma Pooley's comments on it. Um, well, yeah. you, you know what I'm going to find hilarious, and we'll almost certainly be talking about this again in that regard next week because we'll be we'll be going through what the the reports from different writers are. And the thing that I'm going to say next week in a slightly bewildered and amazed tone of voice is going to be something along the lines of, and this is the shit they told us? Imagine what they left out. I know! I know! Oh my god. Because you know know there's going to be some level of shit there that, you know, they just don't feel like that, that would be going too far. We can't talk about that. Mm. And it, it's going to, yeah, I, I, wow, the mind genuinely does boggle. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. I, I have, I have on one completely separated from the, the nature of women's cycling level sympathy for the organizers, because I don't believe anyone enters into, um, this sort of effort with the intention of fucking it up. Uh, but on the other hand, I have absolutely no sympathy because, you know, they've demonstrated that they're not capable of doing what it takes. That said, to reiterate one more time, I don't hold them entirely accountable because it's not their job to make sure that they're worthy of UCI ranking and qualification. That would be the organisation that the ranking and qualifications are named after. So if you are by any chance from the UCI and allegedly have something to do with women's cycling, I would dearly love to get you on this podcast or any forum of your choosing and and hear the rationale and reasoning behind this and be told exactly why I'm wrong. Because at the moment, as far as it it goes with women's cycling in the UCI, all I have to say is fuck you. Fuck you hard. So, that was in Europe. That was the crap in Europe. Then we have the crap in California. Yeah, California. Um, beautiful state. We had an argument about this last week as well, didn't we? Well, uh, you know, I think we had a mildly worded disagreement. But if you want to call it an argument, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually, it is very interesting because I was playing a little bit devil's advocate and, and um, was also, you know, uh, trying to come at it from a slightly different point of view than Sarah, where I was like, well, you know... If you're trying to build up a, a women's stage race and you're under the pressure of, you know, paying for television coverage and all of that sort of stuff, you know, that, that may complicate things more for you. I was trying really hard to be charitable. And then the tour of California basically went and did a Languedoc where, you know, 24 minutes before the invite-only ITT, they cancelled it. No, wait, sorry. I have made that up for comedic purposes. Um, but it was it was pretty much that bad. Uh, so what happened is that, um, well, Sarah last week did a good job of explaining why an invitational time trial is pretty much a farce and makes a, a sideshow out of women's cycling. Um, so I won't necessarily rehash that. But the thing is, at the same time, what it does is it makes those who are invited and do attend um, feel under a, a great deal of scrutiny and pressure to ensure that they put on a good event because it is the only opportunity at allegedly the largest road cycling event in the US to demonstrate the wonderment of women's cycling. And so to that end, uh, the Tour of California 
decided that the best way to run an invitation-only, air quotes, showcase women's time trial would be to run it while the amateur men were still riding the course, um, and therefore to cut the time gaps to 30 seconds between uh, the, the pro-women uh, start times. And then after the first two women finished, just not show anything. And I mean, not anything. We didn't even cut to the fucking men's race. Black screens. Black screens. It just... Talk about fucking it up. Wow. It's, I mean... I, you may have noticed, dear listener, that I have lost some of my bounce this week. <laughs> it's hard to tell, I know, but it's true. I, I have lost some of my bounce this week and some of my joy because I just, I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand. I mean, I had problems with the with the women's time trial and I wasn't watching it all because, you know, I was like, I'll, I'll tune into the end because I'm not really a time trial person. And they got Kristen Armstrong, who's like the Olympic time trial champion to commentate on it, you know. Mm. Yeah, but, so good commentator. But they just we could had... not be bothered. If you're only going to show an hour of the race, why show the beginning hour? What what are you thinking? You know how long it's going to take because you know riders like Evie Stevens beat a whole load of men. You know Evie Stevens won it, but she beat a whole load of men in her time. You know mm. this, it's not like they were super super slow, yeah. and that's why they decided not to show it. It was just like they just couldn't be asked. And I actually emailed Tour Tracker and the Amgen Tour of California to ask them why, and they couldn't be bothered to reply. I mean, you know, I'm just some geek off the internet. That's fine. It's like. I just don't. Under, I didn't. I well, literally didn't understand it. In, like, in, why? In, why would you not show? And, and I, I think I think I can uh, answer that um, because I, I read an article um, just today on RoadCycling.com uh, from Neil Brown. Um, it, it's his his regular column, um, and to his credit, he led his column with discussing the the state of women's cycling as it is at the moment and making quite a good call. But partway through that, he he did say that apparently the camera motos were pulled back from the women's time trial so that they could cover the men's time trial. But then, as he says, is that really fair when we're talking about showing the first, i.e., slowest of the the men's time trialists? And we've got an invitational list of 15 women only. And as you yeah. say, the fastest have yet to be shown. It, it's kind of stupid. Not to mention, which I go back to, you know, my pet peeve. Are you ready for it, Sarah? Are you brace for it? Fucking yeah. picture in picture, people. It's not like it's a new fucking technology. <laughs> my TV comes built with it in. I can watch two fucking channels at the same time. It's amazing. If my TV can do it, and it's a stupid fucking old TV can do it, then I'm pretty sure Tour Tracker could do it. So, again, you know, it does leave me at a little bit of a fuck you kind of moment. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. it's hard to see. It's, it, there's no reasoning for it, is there? I mean, and the thing was, the there, thing was because all they of... set them off at 30-second intervals, mm. it meant that riders caught each other. And apparently it was this massive big battle between um, uh, between Evelyn Stevens and Alison Powers. You know, the first one was in the lead, then the other was in the lead. Who's going to win? What's going to happen? You know, Evie's, Evie's less good on the descents, um, and Ali kept picking up, you know, kept picking up speed on the flat. When it went uphill, Evie just rock, rocked off. But yep. people were saying that even in the middle of it, even in the middle of this 
race. They kept cutting to, like, picturesque views of people on jet skis in the harbour. Like... Well, not not just that, but also apparently they kept, um, um, you know, diverting riders around, um, you know, some of these amateur guys as well. They were holding up the fucking race. It's... I mean... Well, there were amateur guys out on the course at the same time as the elite women. Yes. If you're going to fuck people over, fuck the amateurs over. And I say this as an amateur guy. Like, I'm allowed. I I have a right to say this. So, you know, uh, it it just... It is genuinely amazing. And I think you're right that there's a lot of of things. And I think this is, you know... uh, I guess I have to admit um, that I, I potentially drifted into this area myself last week where... You know, there's a tendency to, to perhaps try and be fair or to, um, you know, try and try and look at it in, in the most charitable light. Uh, and that can lead into providing possible justifications for something. But the truth is, when you actually look at it, it, what it comes down to is a matter of will. And it comes down to someone making a decision. And it comes down to, you know, a producer for, for the video coverage saying, no, the elite women are more important than the amateur men. You know, or uh, more important visually than watching the the first bunch of men who are basically just trying to finish within whatever they think the time cut's going to be, or however you want to slice it. You know, it, at the end of the day, someone made a choice and they made a stupid fucking choice, and it's got to be done better. Uh, just just because I, I'm not going to come back to it, we'll link to it later on. I just want to read this this finishing paragraph on women's racing from Neil Brown's column because I think it's it's really important, um, and and it was a good thing. I appreciate that it was published on RoadCycling.com and and came from him. Uh, next year, I challenge the Amgen Tour of California to organise a women's professional time trial that isn't an invite only and isn't run like a sideshow. The following years, the organisers should invest money into a women's stage race that coincides with the men's. Let's not stop there. I also challenge the other big domestic stage races to organise a women's race. I know they can do it. Uh, and, you know, I have to applaud Neil for, for writing it, and we need to hear more of this, you know, uh, yeah. from from the, the that... media organisations, you know. Yeah. I mean, the good thing, and the good thing was because this was in America, and all the me, you know the cycling media are on the ground, and you know people like Laura Wiselow, who her whole job this week was the tour of California. And I'm not dissing people like Laura for, you know, not because she's got her full time job, you mm. know, of 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 covering this. But you know, you had a, there was a really interesting piece in Velo News, with you know talking about I think it was you know it was it was the gratitude and frustration. So someone like Evie Stevens saying that she is happy to be there and happy to race, but God damn it, she wants by the end of her career there to be a women's stage race there. Yep. You know, Bonnie Ford writing on ESPN saying, um, you know, about about the same thing. So there yeah. was there was and, a bit more. It did get a bit more traction. And, and, and I've it, said this before, but what really surprises, and I said this last week, what really surprises me about this is this is the USA. Yeah, mm-hmm. USA races. If I think of USA of USA stage races, I think about Redlands Bicycle Classic, or I think about um, the Tour de Gila, or I think about all of those races where they have, or Sea Otter Classic, where they have men's mm. and women's races alongside each other, and lower category races, and mountain bike races, and mass participation races, and they really, really care, and they make a really good effort, and, and they actually put European races to shame like that, mm. you know? Mm. These festivals of cycling are just are fantastic and wonderful and and so much fun to go to so 
Yeah, when it, it happens, it, you know, the, and all these races in America that pride themselves across all disciplines on on offering um, equal, equal good prize, prize money. money and yeah. equal prize money to women. It's really, really weird that this is the USA that's fucking it up. Well, it's really weird because it's the showcase event. It's the premier event. Yeah. Like, this is the big international event. And it's, it, as you say, you know, all these these lower category races are managing to do it. And it's weird that it's so much a part of the culture and DNA of cycling in the US. And it somehow hasn't carried into this. But, you know, I, I actually think uh, I'm much more hopeful, obviously, in, in California than I am in Languedoc. <laughs> because, you know, for this to change, it doesn't require, you know, action from the UCI. You know, the Tour of California is completely capable of changing this. And I'm really glad to hear voices like Neil's um, and, and others starting to call for it. I'm also enjoying seeing more of the men talking about it, you know, and, um, you know, I was, I was particularly pleased, uh, to see several mentions on Twitter from Jens Voigt, um, about, you know, someone asked him, hey, you know, did you mind that you were beaten by Evie Stevens in the time trial? Mm-hmm. And and he retweeted that and was like, no, it's awesome, you know, I wish we'd been able to see more women's racing. Um, you know, and I don't understand why there isn't a women's stage race here. It's such a cool race. Why can't the women race it too? And I was like, fuck yeah, thank you, Jens. Good stuff. Um, so it's one of those really strange things. And because, you know, and I've said this in the past, I, I am broadly speaking quite optimistic about women's cycling because I think we are reaching a nexus of um you know fans and committed and engaged fans to really really help the sport explode but you know the kinds of systemic and institutional and cultural changes that we need to have happen to reflect the the will of the fans of the sport unfortunately takes longer and it's painful getting there from here mm. so yeah, yeah. brutal <sighs> Maybe we should talk about something cheerful. <laughs> yeah, I mean there were there were good races this week. Um and one of the reasons I have a thing against the Tour of California is that it takes place opposite the Grand Prix Gatineau in Quebec, yeah, which is a 1.1 race, uh, which is two 1.1 ranked races, and it really pisses me off that I mean I'm assuming that the Amgen Tour of California is offering um start, you know, kind of start bonuses to teams and teams don't want to piss it off because what if it does become a proper race. But yeah, Gatineau is a fantastic race really it's it's in Quebec it has um I think it's over four days uh maybe three or four days and in those days they have um women's elite a road race and they have a women's elite uh time trial but they also have races for junior men they have races for masters categories they have races you know different category races they have I think it's three levels of mass participation rides. So a proper, you know, a proper super hard um, Grand Fondo type thing. Mm. But they also have a mass participation ride where you can bring your kids and ride with the elite women. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, isn't it cool? Isn't it? And, you know, imagine if you had like a little son or a little daughter who wants to get into being a cyclist and they can ride alongside, you know, your riders like, and these are riders from there and it's international riders. You could either ride along Canadian stars like Joelle Newmanville or Alex Albrecht or, you know, or you could ride alongside, you know, Shelley Olds, who you've seen in the Olympics get a puncture in the final stage. I mean, how cool is that? Oh, that's so awesome. 
Well, and, you know, yeah. can you imagine being like a little eight-year-old girl or something and getting to ride alongside these people who, who kind of will talk to you? And, oh, it's just, it's just so cool. I love you, Canada. Um, yeah, so they had, a, so they had a, a road race and they had a really amazing ticker run by Canadian Cycling Magazine. And the ticker wasn't just like your usual ticker where it's just telling you things. They were interspersing photo, uh, photos, but they were also interspersing questions. So you could ask a question and the guy, Matt, would, 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 would give you the answer. And so it's also full of people going, go Lex! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because those of you who were, who were around for the social media jersey last year will, uh, will remember that, that Lex has quite the organised social media army. So. <laughs> we do love the Lex Albrecht army. <laughs> yes, we welcome our new Canadian overlords. <laughs> nice twitter so then you so i mean what a great twitter because you had you know and it wasn't just lex's family it's just they're the mm. best so there's a range of people so there's people asking questions and people making comments and it actually felt really really community like you know um the photos were every two, it was 12 lap race so every time they went over the top there'd be a photo of it and it was so well done it really really showed like how you know, this creative social media. And, I mean, Canadian Cycling Magazine, they've got galleries up about this race. They've got all sorts of stuff. They've got quotes. I'm sure they've got videos by now. And, um, yeah, um, I'll put links on our site, prowomenscycling.com. But, yeah, so there was a um, there was a breakaway where you had Steph Ruder and Lex Albrecht and Vera Fortan, who's Lex's teammate, racing, racing, racing out in a breakaway. But behind them, you had um, Optum, Optum, Optum presented, Optum Professional Cycling presented by Kelly Benefit Strategies. <laughs> Only took three goes, but you got there in the end. Well done. <laughs> and Tipco were chasing them down because they had the sprinters. Yes. Sprinting so, sprinters. So, there you are. Attack, you know, chasey, 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 attacking, attacking, attacking. And the breakaway got caught at the beginning of the final lap. Went to a sprint. Shelley Olds won the bunch sprint. Um, Shelley... Uh, ahead of oh I've written it down somewhere and I've lost it Shelley ahead of Joelle Newmanville I think and um Katarzyna Palowska so that was the race and then they had the ITT that was won by Carmen Small of Specialized Lululemons ahead of Joelle and Chantal Black of Tipco so you know really good racing you know I I it, it, it does annoy me when people put on shit sideshow races they don't even bother to show on TV against fantastic amazing North American racers yeah, um, the other race this week was the tour of Zhushan Island. Um, yes, which had uh, had actually started when we were talking last week. So, how did the the rest of that pan out? Um, it was won by Georgia Bronzini, which, um, as as her virtual director sportif uh, on the podium cafe competition, I approve of thoroughly. Well done, Georgia. I'm not entirely sure she got any points for this one, Dan. Yeah, I know, but I'm still claiming it and pretending that I did. So, you know, don't ruin yeah. it for me in front of everyone else. Um, Georgia had won the first stage and Cecily, Cecily Gotes Johnson of High Tech had won stages two and three. And yeah, but Georgia, this is Georgia's first stage race win. Yeah, well, as in first ever. Overall, her first ever overall stage race win. Well, I guess there aren't that many stage races who are, um, you know, available to the sprint specialists, are there? No, well, there are because there's, there's, there's races like Energy Watch Tour 
and the dear departed um, Rabos there and the Holland Ladies Tour and races like that because when you look down Kirsten Veeld's Palmares, for example, oh, you know, the Tour of Qatar. So when you look down the Palmares of Kirsten Veeld and Ina Yoko Tuttenberg, they have these races. You know, the, the Tour of Chongming Island, there are stage races that, that, because so many races are held in Belgium and the Netherlands, there are races that sprinters can win, but George has never won one before. Wow. Okay. Well, then, uh, you know, special congratulations to to George. Yeah. I mean, she's got she's she's won unlimited. She's won huge numbers of stage of individual stages, and she's won mm. loads of day races. And she's got world champion jerseys, two on the road and one on the track. But yeah, this was her first ever stage race. So congratulations. Wow. And yeah, I mean, as we said last week, the um, photos that Rochelle Gilmore were tweeting. Yes, uh, the completely fake green-screened uh, photos of an unrealistic, idyllic paradise. Uh, yeah, that completely belie the the French campground that the team was actually sequestered in, <laughs> with their their half a bread roll between the team. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's actually been a pretty good month for Wiggle Honda, really, hasn't it? They've uh, they've been doing fairly well. They have been doing really well, and um, yeah. It was. Um, I got to admit, I was a bit. I was a bit. I was always been a bit like. Well, they're a bit. They don't have a. They don't have a GC contender. They're pretty much putting all their eggs in the sprinty basket. Mm. Is this going to work out? But yes, it is going to work out. Hurrah! Turns out the <laughs> the question was asked and the answer has been found. Yes, it will yes. work out. Uh, so um, congratulations oh, to them. Yes. There is another thing I want to say about the um, Amgen Tour of California, and that is. Oh my God, Amber Nevin! Does she have the worst luck in the world? Oh, Amber! Yes, actually, you're right. I was, I was, I'd meant to mention that as well. Uh, for those who are late to the news, Amber suffered a a particularly nasty crash uh, and ended up breaking her hip. Um, yeah, just one of those things that you just hope never, ever, ever happens, and is very distressing when it does happen. So. Um, you know, our thoughts are with Amber Hope that she yeah. has a speedy but primarily uh, healthy recovery. I mean, Amber, yeah. Amber pretty much has the worst luck of, of, of any rider. She started off originally um, when she was in school, high school, I think she was a runner and she was a really good runner, but she kept having unexplained stress fractures, which is why she turned to cycling. And her cycling career has been, just been dogged by, well, bad luck. Um, she had a um, she had a, a positive drugs test, which actually she demonstrated and proved was tainted supplements, and won a court case against mm. the supplement the supplement manufacturer. She had skin cancer. She, you know, from and she's a really big advocate of cyclists remembering to put suntan cream on underneath their jerseys because you know the sun goes through the yeah goes through the through mesh. jersey. She had skin cancer, which was caught luckily. She had um, she's had various injuries. Um, various random injuries and she's had some really shit stuff so um mm. yeah. she had to fight to get to the 2011 road world championships because she was left out of the team by the uh by the by the by usa cycling and you know and and she's just has really really shitty bad luck but in between all of this she's a great person you know she won she's a she's a former world champion yeah she's a former world itt champion and she's got this charity the dare to be foundation mm. which provides bikes for kids uh, for homeless kids yeah yeah 
Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. She's a great person, and she's a great cyclist, but she she has been dogged by some some remarkably terrible bad luck. And um, you know, in this particular instance, you know, I don't know the details, um, but these kinds of injuries can have you know quite deep ramifications. So I'm hoping that the the prognosis is good, um, as good as can be with the, with this sort of incident. So yeah, Amber, ouch. I know. Ouchy, ouch. Ouchy, ouchy, ouch. Mm. So yeah, so that was that was this week. That was that was this week in women's racing. Oh God, please make next week better, please. I can't cope. I can't go on. You know when you just sit there going, Oh God, what's the point? <laughs> right. Why? So... Why do I follow this sport? Why? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what you're saying is that you're you feel like you're living through cycling's version of the Book of Job at the moment, where oh. you know it's just one bit of disastrous news after the next. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully, hopefully, we're at the bit where that story starts to turn around, and it's one magnificent event after the next. Um, you know, but the only way to to find that out for sure is to stick with it until next week and see what we have to talk about then. But before we rush headlong towards the coming week in non-race and non-racing stuff that is good and cool and exciting, uh, this week Catherine Bertin, who um, regular listeners will know, we're we're big fans of has launched her Half the Road project. Uh, for those who yes. don't know, um, Catherine is a rider for uh, St. Kitts Nevis, um, part of the... It's, it's one of the island nations in the, the West Indies, general region, Caribbean, Caribbean, however you want to say it, wherever you want to say it, somewhere around there. Sunshine, sandy beaches, beautiful weather, that sort of thing. She's from there. Mm-hmm. Um, she um, wrote a, a book recently called Going for Gold or Good as Gold. Oh, shit. I can't remember. I think it's Good as Gold. Sorry, Catherine. Um, which was uh, about her journey to um, try and qualify to compete at the Olympics in cycling. Um, and And unfortunately for Catherine, she didn't quite... Uh, get enough UCI points to to be able mm-hmm. to qualify, but you know she wrote um, a series of articles for ESPN's women's um, section and continues to write regularly for them. And she wrote her story the whole way, and then wrote a book about her experience. And she remained very positive and and took a lot from it. And um, you know is one of those sort of great advocates for women's cycling in general, as well as being you know a lovely person and a, a, a an elite and professional women's cyclist. Uh, so Catherine um, decided that you know writing a book or writing another book because she's got two books from memory um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know her ESPN contributor gig and being a professional writer and all of that sort of stuff left her with too much free time so she decided to you know make a movie as you do um, unlike me, Catherine decided not to make a movie about spacefaring dinosaur ninjas with laser eyes. <laughs> I respect... How is, how is that? How is, the, how is your script going, Dan? It's excellent. It needs more lasers, though. I'm thinking about adding lasers to the claws. Um, I'll tell you more about it after. <laughs> <laughs> and tail lasers. Tail lasers are the best. Um... Uh, but what Catherine's doing is uh, she's working on a project, and, and the movie now has a name, which is Half the Road. And it comes from the, the old saying um, that women hold up 
half the the sky or half the earth, depending on which version of the saying you go with. Um, and so she's she's parlayed that into a nifty. Well, where's our half of the road? Um, and she has a, a fundraising page going on on Indiegogo, uh, which is a similar. Uh, crowdfunding sort of thing to to Kickstarter or um, Rocket Hub, which we use for the social media jersey. Mm-hmm. Indiegogo is geared around creative projects, so it's the it's the right place for um, you know a film to to be uh, put there. She's trying to raise money now, in particular, to help with the or the, the film's been completely shot, um, so it, it's all recorded and ready to go. the The fundraising is for editing time and costs. Uh, for mm-hmm. music licensing for the soundtrack, for entering the film in film competitions around the world, and for um, uh, what was the other thing? I, I can't remember. There's something else related to to film stuff. <laughs> so technical, so technical. Uh, it doesn't matter because Catherine's going to come talk to us about it in more detail in a couple of weeks, and we can ask her all those those highly technical yeah. questions then. Um, the point is, it's a very very worthy project. But the really cool thing is that if you do absolutely nothing else, because I understand not everyone's in a position to to be able to donate. Although I will point out that that Sarah a a um, uh, poor university student has been able to donate to this project. So really, you don't have a, an excuse, not a valid excuse for this show. You know, so if you want to come to us and make excuses, feel free, but we are going to shoot your excuses. <laughs> We're going to shoot your excuses don't down. Don't feel like you have to... If you can't give money, don't give money. But if you can't give if money... If you can't give money... Watch, you... click on click on the trailer and watch the trailer so they can say how many people have watched it and share the link because you know everyone knows money is lovely but we don't all have cash and thank you for joining us for another episode of sensible with sarah <laughs> now for our next program dastardly with dan if yeah, you don't with dan goes sell your kidneys well actually no no that's nowhere near. you don't need your tv anymore you watch it all on computer that's nowhere near dastardly enough you got close sell your kidneys dastardly sell with... people's kidneys. Yeah, exactly dastardly with dan go see that stranger asleep on the train <laughs> <laughs> sell his kidney <laughs> <laughs> and if if by chance you wake up on a train in an ice bath with a note telling you to go straight to the hospital, I, I accept no responsibility. <laughs> Dear stranger on a train, <laughs> the voices in my head from this podcast. You can just never it's drink alcohol again. Fine. Yeah, you can just never drink alcohol again. No. <laughs> oh my god, dear anyone in Sydney, please find out Dan's train journey. <laughs> I am never taking a train again, ever, for fear of kidney harvesting. <laughs> or karma. There's so, many ways, there's so many ways to do this to Dan. Just basically, just invite him, just invite him out for some, um, just invite him out for some nice food. And just slip a roofie into his, um, into his whiskey. And look. Big kidneys. I bet he's got big. I bet he's got big kidneys. Well, I was going to say my kidneys are probably much, much, much like my liver and of limited use to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly don't seem to do me a lot of favours. Huge um, throbbing kidneys. <laughs> <laughs> I told you you were a dirty girl. <laughs> Oh, 
Oh god, I hope I hope actually for our sake that Catherine um, doesn't listen to this podcast because she might change What am I doing? I'm not going on them. They're all perverted crazies. It's a lovely thing. You can go to halftheroad.com, yeah. uh, the website, and that'll take you to um, the, the... You can get through to that, to the Indiegogo yeah. um, thing. We'll, we'll I will just check. She's got... I mean, she's got a really, really big goal. She's got a goal of $65,000 that she wants yeah. to raise. And so far, she's raised 12 and a half grand. Yeah. So yeah. I, if I did maths, I could she's probably work nearly, out what percentage Nearly a quarter of the way there. She's just over 20% of the way there, which is, so, you know, it, it's on track to be achieved. So it's well worth... Well worth uh, going. I should point out, it is on the site as well, um, that it, all contributions will go through regardless of whether that goal's met or not. So your contribution is solid. Um, yeah. It will just, you know, if the goal's not met, that will just limit whatever Catherine's actually able to, to finally get yeah. done. And, but, and she's also she's also got links to, um, there'll be a link, there's a page on hearthrow.com which is linking to... Uh, um, uh, where it'll have where it's going to be shown. Um, mm. If you know of any bike film festivals or or local cinemas that that like that might want to show this, I mean, for example, there's a film festival, a Bristol bike fe- there's a bike film festival that turns up in Bristol, for mm. example, which I'm gonna I've got to work out the details and send that to Catherine and say, hey, why don't you put that in there? Yep. And there are some in London. But if you know of places like that, or if Similarly. you know of people who are in charge of independent cinemas and stuff like that who might want to show it, then please, 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 please drop her an email and say, hey, hi, Catherine, uh, this is where. Mm. Why don't you think about putting it into this? Yep. Um, absolutely, and if you're able to offer support, as Sarah says, uh, word of mouth is good. And one of the one of the very important reasons that just sharing the link can help is because um, it's got the the full preview for the the film on there as well, uh, which is you know four minutes and thirty seconds of your life very well spent. I have to admit, I actually found it like even just the preview quite inspiring. I've watched it. I don't know, half a dozen times already. I, just, I, I literally went back to it, you know, a couple of times during the week after I first saw it, just to watch it again and feel all, you know, enthusiastic and inspired and better about I, the world. I did in between my Twitter, what the fuck's going on with Languid.Rusion, I did every now and again just click her trailer and watch it again. <laughs> Honestly, it, the whole trailer's worth it, if for nothing but seeing Emma Pooley get really arced up about, why the fuck isn't Pat McQuaid making sure there's a minimum wage? That's his job. And Ina Yoko Twinberg going, I don't care if there's no fucking prize money, I just want to win. <laughs> I love Ida. Oh, and she's awesome. It's like, yeah, uh, she's so just tough. Yeah, it's great. I think, you know, since Ina's not racing, once she's got over her concussion, you know I talk about storming Adler and and installing Mariana Voss as the the head of the UCI, whether she wants it or not. Mm. I'm actually thinking it might need to be Ina. Well, I think Ina is at the very least the enforcer. So, you know, <laughs> whoever we install, because honestly, we could put in a nine-year-old and they're going to do a better job than Pat. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, honestly, if you put a nine-year-old boy in, he'd probably feel something ridiculous, like that it should be equal. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah weird. Um, so, yeah, but I think Ina should be the enforcer, you know, the one that just stands over, you know, back and, and behind one shoulder and just looks at people. They start to start to, and she just turns and looks, faltering silence. I'll be good. 
Wow. So here's hoping I get my mojo back, my cycling, my women's cycling mojo back soon. Uh, if you find something awesome on the internet, please do come back and share it with us to help Sarah get her mojo back earlier. And oh, um, I, I nearly forgot what I wanted to say. There is one more thing I wanted to talk about. And in the middle of the Langwood Up Roussillon, I was slightly grumpy. But then our friend, a confused spider, on on Podium Cafe, decided to do something really lovely for us all because we were all a bit grumpy. And what he did was translate a blog by Annemiek van Bluten that she did from her Toscana training camp. And it is... Annemiek's blogs are really, really funny. She tells a story really, really, really well. But she... <laughs> it starts off... On the first day of the training camp, at the first place at the first place name road sign we encountered, Mariana went, and the next was for Iris, and after that all beds were off. Every place name road sign was sprinted for in the last twelve days. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen arrived three days later. She wants to get some rest after her Gratiarolo Varwin, and ended up in the middle of our sprinting violence, but immediately joined in. Her team has mostly American and German riders, and it's not in their culture to sprint for every road sign. The Americans only watch their average watts on their SRM, and the Germans don't want their long, slow endurance training tempo interrupted, which they will do for about six hours. Ellen felt right at home with us as the powerhouse she is, and sprinted with full commitment. (laughs) Mariana is hard to beat in a sprint, but if you're not as explosive, you have to be smart, so all available tactics were used in this training camp. A short impression. When a few houses appear in the distance, everyone begins to focus. But in the meantime, you try not to let the others know. You try to shift, shift up a few gears without being noticed. You hope your chain in the big, is in the big ring when you see a road sign appear. A shifting up makes a sound, and you don't want the others to know a place name road sign is coming up. Sprinting low in the handlebars is my preferred choice. But then suddenly going low attracts attention, so you'd have to sprint with your hands on top of them, or casually go low earlier in the descent. <laughs> And with a road sign coming up, you try to casually keep talking while trying to figure out when to go. You also try to distract the rider next to you by asking difficult questions and sprinting away in the middle of the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine imagine riders sitting up late at night, you know, surfing the internet, looking up some obscure fact about, you know... Because, as we know, all these women are, you know, ridiculously overqualified and overeducated and doctors and geniuses and, um, you know, all sorts of world leaders and stuff. Um, So, you know, looking up weird detailed facts about, you know, obscure geology formations or something and going, oh, um, so is that a a, uh, quartz formation that would uh, contain gold or is it a different kind of quartz that would have more of a silicon deposit or, or something like that? Just to distract someone so yeah, that they can yeah. attack. No, you know, do you remember do you remember Helen Wyman talking about the oh look at that cow? <laughs> yes. Yes. So she's got she's got some um she says the other thing she says she's talking about the other things you do. She says, then you have the advantage of knowing where the signs are. I have to say that all these road signs look a lot like each other. So at some point, I began to watch for familiar op- objects, you know, when to go. After the red house, there's one more corner. After that, it's 200 metres to go, things like that. <laughs> Ellen, it's only her second time here with us in Tuscany, complained the first few days that she didn't know where the signs were and was at a disadvantage. <laughs> Luckily, you learn quickly as a fanatic. <laughs> The interesting thing to me is that that these roads in Tuscany, uh, there will be some riders who have a better knowledge of the approaches to these towns and these signs 
than they do of of perhaps some of the more famous races on the on the entire calendar. You know what I really, really like about it? You know, like how Dutch racing is known for its endless, endless random attacks. Mm. And this is how they fucking train. Well, not only that, I, I have a new theory. I think this is how they race. The reason that they have endless attacks is because they've got all these informal sprints for, for <laughs> place names. So there should actually be a jersey for that in stage races, I think. There should be the, yeah. you know, the, the place name sprint jersey. Well, this is, they talk, she talks about, like, she talks about, like, the, um, the, the, about how they just start going completely bonkers, and, um, there's going around the last corner with squeaking brakes. This sprint was the highlight with a big kamikaze factor and a focus. (laughs) Oh, 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 I've just had the best idea. For this, for this, instead of having a jersey for the, the place name sprints, um, what we have is a stamp like they used to do on um, on fighter aircraft in World War Two, where they'd mark their kills. Oh, so, oh! You mean it's like a cumulative thing? Yeah, yeah. So we just stamp the number of sprints that you've won. You know, a roadside stamp. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, genius! This has got to happen. It's basically like, and I know you're going to hate this, a points race on the road. But instead of the points slap that you sprint for being every twenty laps or whatever, it's Every roadside. Well, it's kind of like that, except that it's really, really fucking hard to take a lap. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, I mean, what I loved about this vlog was just, it just sounded like they were having so much fun on training mm. camp. And I love the idea of Ellen getting there and complaining that it's not fair. You all have advantages over me. And then just getting really, <laughs> I actually, I actually heard a rumor. I don't know if it's true, but I heard by the, the second night of the camp that she actually snuck out at two in the morning and drove around all of the towns in a hundred mile radius and marked the the distance to the sign with a white stone by the side of the road. <laughs> and so she knew when to attack base or that she put markers in that no one else knows exactly where they are but she does. So I, I, I love that story on so many levels and yeah and yeah everyone I mean Annemiek's blog is in Dutch which is not surprising. She is Dutch. Um but yeah if you ever um, but Google Translate is our friend. So, you know, I highly, highly recommend um, um, clicking through and having a look at her blog uh, at some time because she's brilliant. Or, you know, swing by the, the cafe, Podium Cafe, and be nice to Confuse Spider because he'll, he'll also be your friend. Actually, there's, there's enough. There are so many nice Dutch people on Podium Cafe that if you say, oh, I that, saw this more than make up Google for Translate the... made it sound really weird. Can you, can you tell me what's going on? And someone will take pity on you because they're lovely, lovely, friendly, lovely, lovely, lovely people. That's Podium Cafe. Um, under the section sign at the top, so, uh, on the top they have a a, 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 menu? a thing. Menu, yeah. At the top they have a menu running across the page, and if you hit sections, you can get to women's cycling, um, and that's where that's where sometimes I live. Sometimes on days that end in Y. <laughs> and, and on that note, thank you very much for joining us for the We Get Riled Up episode. Yes. <laughs> the podcast. No, wait, I, I, apologize, uh, I apologize for being slightly less happy than normal. Normal service, hopefully, should retu- return soon, hopefully. <laughs> or, you know, our ranting will become more and more apoplectic and eventually will explode. Either way, we <laughs> promise you'll be entertained. <laughs> thank you for listening. Thanks for hanging out. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>